says I am, I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on! In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'll be reading John 4, starting in verse 3. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Let's jump in. Thank you for being here. Week six, so we're in the plane. We're going to land, uh, land this plane next week. So we'll be seven weeks into this. And the thought has been this. From day one, the resurrection story of Jesus was considered fake and considered nonsense. And what I've tried to land on over the last six weeks is to present what I would think would be evidence of this crazy story of a floating city and streets of gold and flying horses and a guy named Jesus that died for the soul, uh, the guy that says he's alive, but even his own followers, what we saw on week one, his own followers didn't believe it. His own followers said the story's ludicrous, I don't get it. So we've looked at Doubting Thomas, we've looked at Bartholomew, we've looked at Peter, uh, we've gone to scripture and looked at scripture to try to present evidence that Jesus is alive. But as we circle the pattern to land today, uh, I want to just talk to us personally. I want to leave everybody else aside and all the who went before you and who believed before you and talk to us, me included. To say that everybody in this room, no matter how much evidence we present, no matter how many YouTube videos you watch, is Jesus real? Is he not? No matter how many documentaries you watch on Christianity, is the Bible true? Is it not true? It was written by a bunch of men. Is Christianity the only way? Is Jesus the only way? After you exhaust 
everything you could exhaust to study it, you're still left with the question, so what are you going to do about it? Are you going to believe? That's ultimately where it's going to take you. To the point that I think we could spend the next 20 years every week going, here's another nail in the coffin of why Jesus is real. I could sit down with Davis every week and say, Davis, here's another reason why Jesus is real. Ryan, here's another reason why Jesus is real. Over and over and over. However, on the same playlist is another playlist. Here's why he's fake. Here's why you can't trust the Bible, Ryan. Here's why you can't trust Jesus. Here's why Christianity is just another religion. It's another crutch for people that have a need. And so all the rest of our decades that we live, we can find the playlists that are against it and the playlists that are for it and the documentaries that say it has been one of the greatest religions that's ever hit the planet. The Bible is the most soul book of all and others that the Bible is the most racist, misogynist, man-written book ever. Don't believe it. And at the end of all of that, we sit with the same thing, so what do you believe it? And that is a tough place to come to. Here's what Romans 1 will say. Romans 1 says, this is Paul, this good news tells us how God makes us right. That this really is no longer about Peter or Paul or James or John or Bartholomew or the disciples or the revivalist that died before you or your grandmother or your grandfather or your mother. It's just you. Now the plane is, we're all going somewhere in life, and it's about me and you. Do you believe it, and do I believe it? It's the personal side of faith. It's, this is what he said. He says, well, if you really want to know the truth of this Jesus, it's accomplished from start to finish because of faith. It, and then it, this phrase, it is through faith. In other words, what he's teaching us is you will never come to a place where salvation in Jesus Christ makes logical sense. If it made logical sense, you wouldn't need faith. You could just logically go, I've deduced mathematically, it must be this. If it's based on great experiences, we wouldn't need faith. The reason it says it starts by faith and finishes by faith is there something about the story of Jesus that is illogical to the human framework of what we see to be true. Men don't die and come back to life and proclaim themselves as God and then go build a city for me to come down and fly on horses to go to that city. And then to make you feel better about yourself that when you die, you either go to a place of fire or streets of gold. And even if you're going to the fire, we've never tell people, we go, oh, he's up there. Because it's just the alternative is not even fun. But Paul wants us to know, and I, I've kind of landed here myself, that, that after logic has been done and scientific proof and historical evidence and all the things we do and all the sermons we preach and all the ways we convince people, it doesn't really matter. You're going to go to lunch today. You're going to have something that sits in front of you that says, so what? What about you? It's not about your mom anymore. It's not about your dad anymore. It's do you believe and will you put your faith in me even when you can't explain it? So as I thought about that, like, all right, we've talked about everybody. Let's come to Mark. Let's look at me. Let's look at us. I landed on the John 4 story that Victoria Kate read. And I've known about it for years. I mean, it's a 
pretty simple story. It just, we all talk about the woman at the well. And it just never would leave, so I would go back to it all week and read it and think, okay, no, yes, no, okay, I will, no. And, and I tried to work myself through it. But I landed on it because I feel like it's a good testament of what this whole thing we call religion, Christianity, salvation is really about and what we need. Here it is. Jesus had to go through Samaria on the way and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Meaning, it's not just cheap water. This is the good stuff. This isn't Dasani. This is Evian. It's great water. Uh, I remember I was in college, 1984, in college. I looked over at my friend. True story. Looked at my friend. I said, you want to tell you something? He said, what? I said, there's coming a day in our future where somebody's going to bottle water and make a killing. He looked at me. He said, dude, you're just stupid. Just go ahead and throw that out there to you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, oh, man, I should have thought of that. I didn't know God was talking to me. <laughs> Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at noontime. In my Bible, in this passage, they, they make it really easy to read. They put up at the top, the woman at the well. And I read about the woman at the well. But what if in all of our talking about trying to convince us why Jesus is real, if we just toss everybody else aside and just go look at the guy that we all believe in? And look at this. So in my Bible, I scratched out woman at the well and I put Jesus at the well. Because this really bothers me. Because before we ever get to a woman who's thirsty, who's coming out to get water to take back to her house, we're, we bump into pre-resurrected Jesus. Right here, he's not Jesus that died and rose again. He's not Jesus that went down into hell and conquered the power of the devil. He's not Jesus that's walking around with 500 other live people on the day he came up. This is the Jesus that really has not hung on a cross yet. He's really not done a lot of miracles yet. All he probably knows in some way, maybe God has spoken to him, but he was raised by a woman that told him, you're God. He was raised in a home where his mother said, you're different than everybody else. Okay, wait a minute, that's every mother thinks their kid is special. And I don't mean like short bus special, I mean special, like... <laughs> Just special. My kid is so beautiful. My kid is handsome. That's every mother. Well, most. His mother probably told him, I, told him the story. Sit down. He's rocking him going, I just want to tell the story. When an angel came to me and told me I was pregnant, I could hardly believe. I had never known a man or slept with him before. But I would birth the Lord. And just sitting there rocking the little baby. And Jesus grows up going, my mama always told me I was different. My mama always told me I was God. 
My mother always told me that I was different than all other people, that I don't even have a daddy. My daddy is God. My daddy is the creator of the universe. My daddy's better than yours. Your daddy may be Iron Man. My daddy's God. Your daddy may be Batman, so what? My daddy's God. So I don't know, maybe he walked around on the playground, and everybody's like, my dad, my dad. And he's like, dude, my dad created your dad. I don't know. No, I, we don't get that. We just, we just know that we show up in yellow, and there's the son of the living God that will one day, quote, beat the devil, one day raise from the dead, one day go build us a home in a floating city, one day come back riding a horse, one day rule the whole world, but this is long before that. Now we're sitting here with Jesus, magic man Jesus, can do miracles Jesus, can walk on water, can heal dead people, blind people, hungry, he can feed people, he can stand on a boat and go, and all the rain just quits. And we are introduced to him. With all of his godness and his powers, he's tired, he's thirsty, and he needs a break. And that bothers me. But it also inspires me to maybe dig deeper and ask, then what is faith? Because if you have the power to work miracles, if you have the power to walk on water, if you have the power to raise the dead, heal the blind, the mute, cast out demons, you can do things that no other human can do. As a matter of fact, humans are even coming to you going, we've never seen anybody do what you do. And then you're sitting beside a well wishing somebody would give you a foot rub because you're so tired. My thinking is, if you're God, why would you be tired? You shouldn't have to walk. You should just float everywhere. You should not be thirsty because if you're sitting by a well and you're God, why would you even be thirsty? If you can walk on water, my thinking, and you're God and you're by a well, why don't you just go, and all of a sudden, Water starts coming up out of the well and just sitting in front of you and you kind of walk over with a straw. There weren't straws then, but he's God. He can create one. He creates a straw. And then he's, oh, and the water goes back down in the well and he walks off. He just goes to the next. His feet don't even hurt now. He magically had an angel come down. He's God. He can do anything he wants to do. He's powerful. But we're introduced to a God that's tired We're introduced to a God that's thirsty. We're introduced to a God that doesn't want to go anywhere right now. But here's the weird thing. He's not even asking his heavenly father to fix it. And that's bothersome. If you're in such a need, why would not you say to your heavenly father, Heavenly Father, would you send me an angel to bring me water? You did it for Moses. I don't know why you wouldn't do it for me. You brought water out of a rock for him. And here I sit thirsty. You could bring water out of the dirt for me. I don't know why as a father you won't do that for me. I'm tired. 
I don't know why if I'm tired and it's noonday, you gave them a cloud to lead them. Why won't you give me a cloud? You gave Job a tree to sit under to bring shade. Why won't you give me a tree to sit under? I guess he could have gone there. I guess he could have gone into all the reasons of why his heavenly father's not taking care of him. Where is my dad? Why am I thirsty? Why can't he meet my needs? You would think that as a human, he would be having this emotional moment of... Am I God or am I not? And if I'm God, why am I tired? And if I'm God, why am I thirsty? And if I'm not God, why is God not taking care of me and providing my needs and meeting my needs? And if I am God, why can't I just create water sitting at a well? And the introduction of Jesus tells us something about faith because the story is going to introduce into it something very strange. It introduces a woman that's been married five times and the dude she's shacking up with now, not even kin to him. It's going to be introduced to a half-breed. She's a Samaritan. She, uh, the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were part Jew, part not Jew. And you didn't talk to them. They, they were nasty. They were dirty people. And over here is the Jews, the clean, nice, wonderful people. And God is going to introduce into the story, into God, into Jesus, into the need, which tells me that maybe the thing we've done wrong with Christianity is we've presented people a God that will meet their needs, but if He doesn't meet their needs, He's not worthy to be served. Because here's God with a need, but God with a need is not asking God to meet the need. Which is strange because that's really how we sell it. We sell it like God is some, uh, you know, corporate thing you can buy, and if he, if you lose enough weight, he's worthy to be served. If you, so, so your back hurts. Well, come here and let me pray, and as soon as he heals your back, well, then he's God. But I, I say to that, that doesn't prove he's God. I could just send you the chiropractor, and they could adjust that and, and probably fix that. So you have a headache, and I pray for your headache, but I can just send you to Kroger, and you can get some Tylenol and probably take that away. So here he sits with a need, but he doesn't even ask the Father. He sits patiently, insert woman, here she comes. Interesting, mind-blowing, the next verse. Perhaps the story lends itself, here's where it gets interesting, to the reality that our humanity will always have the opportunity to scrutinize our faith. Life will always afford you the opportunity to fight the battle. Is it real or is it not? Does it really work? Again, sitting tired, is he really God? If he is, why am I tired? If he loves me, why is he letting me stay thirsty? If he knows everything, why won't he meet my needs? Why not send me an angel? So one thing we know about everybody in the room, me included, is life will cause you to scrutinize whether it's real or not. Is it really real? Here's what happens to the woman of what we find out what's going on. Soon a Samaritan woman comes to draw water and Jesus says to her, which is weird, please give me a drink. Again, it's the craziest thing. Why does God need me? Why, I don't want to serve a God that needs me to meet a need for him. 
I, I serve him because I want to come and watch him bubble up and do something and wow me. But here's God, claims he's God anyway. Claims he's God, but he's tired. So am I. Claims he's God, but he's thirsty. So am I. Claims he's God, but he won't do a miracle. I really wish he would. Claims he's God. I walk up and he goes, hey, dude, can you help me? I'm like, yeah, bro. What, what, do, you, what do you need help with? Which would make me think, if you need me to help you, then you're not God because I probably have more resource and power than you if you're asking me to help you. And then we get this weirdness of Christianity going on because we present that the reason we serve him is that he's bigger than us and can meet all these needs we have. So here it is. Would you give me a drink? She's surprised. She either knew how he was dressed. He's different. He's not from around here. I mean, she's been married five times, so she knew the brothers. She knows all the new dudes in town. She's probably checked out the new dudes. I need number six or seven later. So she knows he's new. He's different. You're not from around here, are you? You Jews refuse to have anything to do with us, she said to Jesus. You're a Jew. I'm just a Samaritan woman. Why would you even dare ask me for a drink? See, there's nothing yet happening in the God level. She doesn't even perceive he's God. Matter of fact, she perceives he's a Jew, which, well, there's nothing in her that even sees that there's something different going on. She's stuck in her reality. She's stuck at this is the way life is. She's stuck at you don't talk to me, I don't talk to you, you're thirsty. Now you want to use me like all the other men that have used me. All these other men use me. I'm with five of them, but I'm not going to tell you that. And now here's number six wanting to use me. What do you want out of me? If I give you water, do you want sex back? That's probably what she's thinking. It's not like she's somebody's wonderful grandmother. She's living with five dudes. Everybody in town's like, oh, Barbara. Good luck, man. You're number four. But it feels different. Number four feels better than number three. That's her testimony. Number one was great. Oh, rock my world. Oh, he was narcissistic. I married number two. Number two took care of me, had a good job, but he was never home. He always needed something else, so I, oh, I left him. Oh. Number three, oh. God, number three, turned into like men. Oh, so I had to get rid of him. I didn't know that at the time. I just thought he was really into me with feelings. But come to find out his own feelings were him because he was feminine so much. But I could talk to him. He's like a best friend, but I had to let him go. Then I go to number four. I went to number four. I've already run through abs. I've already run through money. I've already run through feminist men that would talk to me and be my best friend. Now I just want somebody that will show up and pay the bills. So she marries number four. Number four doesn't work for her, so she's on number five now. But she won't even marry him because she's smart enough to know that there will be a sixth. She's not dumb anymore. She's just running through them because she's looking for something. She needs something, but she doesn't know what she needs. And yet here's Jesus who needs something, but he's not even asking for something. He's not looking for anything. He's quietly sitting there, but it's going to be introduced to a woman who's looking for something. She's desperate. She, her soul has this desperation to it. I'm looking for something. I'm looking for love. I'm looking for contentment. I'm looking for hope. I'm looking for somebody that will take care of me. I don't know what it all was, but she's definitely looking for it. So 
So I got a guy with a need, weird, not looking for anything. I got a woman who's looking for everything. And they converge in a conversation. Why would you ask me for the drink? Verse 10, pink. My, my translation, sweetheart. If you only knew. If you only knew. If you only knew who you were talking to. If you only had a clue that five feet away from you was everything you've always been looking for. But it's not another hookup. It's not another sexcapade. It's not another bill. It's not another promise. It's not another home. It's not another honeymoon. It's not another child. It's, sweetheart, if you just had a clue. And in that moment, we're introduced to there's this mystery out there that if we only knew, it could change everything. But it's very difficult to know the mystery when I'm raised on a planet to chase it and find it in other things. I spend my energy to get it. If you only knew, and then he ties it with the word that's weird, it's a gift. In other words, you don't find it, it finds you. It's this weirdness, it's this Jesus, no wonder he's not asking the Father to bring water out of a well because he's thirsty or help his swollen feet because they're kind of tired. He's just very casually sitting there because there's a mystery going on within him. He knows something internally that is not evident externally. This lady, though, does not know anything internally. She only knows the external. And the internal, what we would think complacency of the need, meets the external desperation of the need. And they show up in a moment of life. And the beauty is, sweetheart, if you only knew. Here's the thought. It's tragic but true. Sir, you don't even have a rope or a bucket. I don't even know what you're talking about. How, water? How, how are you going to give me water? You don't have anything. What are you going to? I'm just thinking she's going, you're going to use me again? What, I'm going to go over here behind the well and have sex with you and then you can have my bucket? That's what all the other men want out of me. I'm sure she's probably thinking this. You don't have a rope or a bucket. The well's too deep. So tell me how you'll get living water. That was your words. In other words, you have the audacity. You're tired. You're worn out. You stink. You're dirty. You're thirsty. But you have the audacity to tell me that what you have is better than what I have? Because that's the reality of Christianity when the world looks at all of our problems, our marriage issues, our money issues. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm suffering at the same gas pump you suffer at. It doesn't matter. I'm spirit-filled pumping. It still hurts to pump $109 worth of gas. Even if, you, even if you don't believe in speaking in tongues, the moment you start filling up with five bucks a gallon, you'll speak. <laughs> People looking at you thinking you're from another country and like oh God, let the credit card go through. 
And you know you're desperate when you're in line at the Marathon gas station and you're waiting, you got your little drink and you're in line and somebody walks up and says, I'd like $5 of gas. You're like, oh my God, that's, that's a gallon. They're not going to go anywhere. $5, that's, that, by the time they crank it, they've wasted $5. So the desperation, the, so you, here's the weird thing. So, so Ryan, you think because you're a Christian, you're better than me? You're no better than me. You have the same problems everybody else has. You're just as addicted, you get hooked on porn, you get drunk, you got your weed, you got your life, you got your messed up marriage, and you want me to think y'all's way as a Christian is better than mine? That's the problem here, is that I got a guy with swollen feet, tired and sweaty, stinky and thirsty, and he meets a woman who walks up tired, sweaty, but thirsty, but I'm a little better because I got a rope and a bucket. So my rope and bucket at least affords me a better opportunity of life than what you offer me. And it's in this exchange of him saying, without a rope or bucket, what I have is better than anything you'll ever have. It blows her mind because she doesn't see a rope or a bucket. Her mind can't fathom how could you use the term better. And here's the thought that triggers it. Sometimes our own self-awareness manifested by our experiences hinder our revelation of Jesus. You can't really believe because church has messed you up. The last preacher messed you up. The last hypocrite messed you up. You can't believe because you watched some video that told you why the Bible can't be trusted. You, your experiences, the way your mother raised you, your, the way your wife, your bought everything begins to influence your experiences, influence your faith. And now my own self-awareness of knowing my struggles and knowing what I'm up against. And so because of that, because of our humanity, of our own self-awareness and our experiences, we get on a journey of always trying to find something. And here's what it is. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give, it, here's, the, here's the weird thought of, of where they merge. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them and giving them life. In other words, honey... Don't, don't look at what I don't have. I have something you can't even see. I have something on the inside that motivates. I have something happening within me that doesn't get me mad at my father because my feet are swollen. I'm not mad at him that he's not bringing water out of the ground. I'm not upset that I'm a human and really thirsty right now. I'm not bothered by the fact that I'm God, but I'm having to ask a human to help me. I'm good with that. 
I'm good to be God and ask a human to help me. I'm good to be God but not even have God help me. I'm good and the reason I'm good, there is a bubbling thing on the inside of me where all of my life resonates. All of my contentment is residing. Everything I think and know comes from this life force of something you can't even see that resonates within me. And it causes me to be at a place of contentment. I'm not mad at God because I wish he would do something. And I don't feel bad for telling you I'm thirsty. Because I, un- watch, I understand something. I understand if God gives me the miracle and water comes up. And my feet suddenly don't hurt and the swelling is gone. And I'm like, yes. My feet don't hurt. I'm not even thirsty. You boys ready? Yes. Where are we going? We're going to Sikar, 10 miles down the road. And they start going. The problem is what? The problem is by the time you get to Sikar, your feet are swollen again. You're thirsty again. So that even if you get the miracle, the miracle comes and water just shoves down your esophagus. And you're like, oh, that was such a miracle. What we know is the miracle will not sustain you on the journey of life. You will be thirsty again at the next town and your feet will be swollen at the next town. And many Christians are living from, I just want this experience to end this emotional, physical, financial, marital need. But the reality is the moment God meets the need, you continue on your journey only throwing in more needs along the way. I need some money. I need, oh, I need a raise. Yes. I need you to do something with my kid. Thank you, God. All along the journey, just tossing grenades to God of everything I need. And if he doesn't provide for me, I'm ticked at him. If he doesn't answer my my bomb of my prayer, I'm mad at him. If he doesn't get me in school, I'm mad at him. If he doesn't give me a raise, I'm mad. If he doesn't fix my marriage, I'm mad. If my addicted husband does not repent, I'm mad. I need to know what to do because you should be meeting all of my needs. And the father's like, what? So you think if I meet all your needs, it it resonates the void that's in your life? Watch Jesus. There's something in you that's different. It's not the external things. It's inward it's this inward thing that you live by. It is, it, it, it's not even, gosh, how would I say? It's not even congruent on the need of anything. It's self-perpetuating. Here's the thought. It gets really interesting. Faith in Jesus is the realization that your soul's greatest need will never be met. Never. I want to say this. Stick with me. I don't want to sh- shake you here, but... I'll explain. You were not designed by God to be satisfied nor happy. You were not designed that way. If there was a way for you to be satisfied and happy, you wouldn't need Him. You are designed to never be content. You were created to never be content. Be content. You were created 
that everything the world offer would only suck you in deeper, lying to you that it would make you content. So that the guy that says, dude, you should try this. It'll help you. What is it? It's marijuana. I just, just hit it one time. Oh. Oh. Oh, man. Is this legal? It will be one day. And God knows that, so he's okay with it. Because he's out in front of us. He already knows it's legal. So hit it again. Well, I do. My first day on marijuana is like, oh, man. Well, I just feel, I, I can actually focus on Robin now. Wow, my ADD just went out the door. I just stare off and the, that tree's, it's talking. Y'all hear that tree? No, that tree's talking to me. Look, it, it's got a mouth on it. Well, that's just one. But you're designed to never get content. That's why three weeks later, it's like, you got two now. Because one doesn't do it anymore. Now you need two to keep being content. And then if you keep going, you need a whole bag of weed. And then you got to keep the weed in the car because you're designed that nothing will ever satisfy It'll just keep you rabbit trailing thinking it does. Pornography. Man, that's you. I saw her. I saw her boobie. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to do it. I mean, it wasn't that bad. It was a picture. It wasn't a bad picture. It was a picture. You're designed to never be satisfied. The picture becomes a worse picture that becomes a video that becomes a worse video that becomes a perverted video that becomes you in a dark place of needing to act out the most perverted things because it never lets you be fulfilled. You will lie to yourself. If I could just get married, I'll be fulfilled. It's a lie. If I could just get a new job, it's a lie. If I could get more money, it's a lie. If I knew, it, if I had the money at age 20 that I have now, Elon Musk. Oh, God. I was making $33 a week. My dad gave me a raise, $77 a week, because he felt better about 7-7. Those are God's numbers. He paid me $77 a week to work. Oh, God. If I... I would be in prison now if I made $77. And now here I am. I do okay. I'm not a billionaire. I, I, I drive a decent car and, and I don't have to cross my fingers when I go to Target. Although I think I got enough money to go to Target. I think. I'm good. Oh, but I'd like more money. Ooh. I wish I had half of what Elon had. I mean, there's just something that always drives you for more. It's my friend that was pastoring, and it, sometimes, I, I'm kind of, I like it, but he would go home stressed. And so his way to relieve the stress is I go home every Sunday and I have a glass of wine and I just wind down. I'm like, awesome. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Jesus, and then even Bible, Jesus drank wine. Why can't I have wine? And really, wine has a higher alcohol content than Schlitz. So it ought to be okay. I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't care. What we don't understand, though, is one bottle of wine 
one glass of wine on Monday becomes five glasses of wine two years later. Because one no longer gives you the buzz. You need two to buzz. Then two doesn't do the buzz, you need three to buzz. And then three doesn't do the buzz, you need a half bottle to buzz. And then you don't want to get drunk, you just need the buzz. You need to... But you're designed, watch, you're designed that nothing will ever give you the eternal buzz. You're designed that it will always wear off. Go watch people who win the lotto. We finally could get us a triple wide trailer. So excited. And then five years later, they're broke. Five years later, their whole family broke up. Nobody likes anybody. Why? You're designed to never be fulfilled. Ever. It, you, I'll say it again. I need you to get it. You're designed to never be fulfilled. Now, you can lie to yourself and think, but if I'm telling you, if I could just get that house, if I could just close this deal, if, if I could just marry my soulmate, if my husband would just stop doing what he's doing, if my wife would, if my children, if my boss, if my... You'll lie to yourself. And you will run yourself ragged to the end of your life chasing this next husband. This next thing that will meet this soulish need of me. And yet sitting here in the room, in the moment, is a guy that seems worse off than you because at least you got a rope and a jar. So what's the soul's greatest need? That's the question I threw up there. What is your soul's and what is its greatest need? Because here's the funny thing about the Bible. Jesus met the needs of everybody he bumped into, thousands of people. He fed them. He did miracles. And yet only 120 showed up. Maybe he understands meeting your need is really not what's going to keep you in the game. Because he met the need of 5,000 people who were hungry on a hillside. They didn't show up in the upper room. Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus, all these. We have no idea. They showed up in the upper room. Here's what I do know. Out of the thousands that he met the needs of, the Bible says in John that he did so many miracles, all the books of the world could not contain it. So let's don't act like Jesus just went around, I think I might bless you, and I think I might bless you. I think he just like, ah! And there's so many blessings. People are like, oh, blessings, ah! And the reality is all of that for 120 but the 120 in the upper room answered the real issue of the soul's greatest need. Here it is. Three chapters later, on the last day of the climax of the festival, Jesus stood up and shouted to the crowds. These are the people that had the miracles. These are the people that saw him walk on water. These are the people that ate the food. These are the people that watched him work his magic. These are the people that would call him the devil, the people that would call him God. He said, hey, is there anybody here that's thirsty? Is there anybody here that's hungry? For if you believe in me, you, well, here's what's weird. You, I think he's thinking back to the woman. You can come to me and drink. 
You can drink out of me. And then he tells us the soul's greatest need. It's not another preacher you need. You don't need another pastor. You can go to Crossroads. He ain't going to do it for you. You can go to Ark. Ain't going to do it. Chapel Hill. Eh, full turn. Eh, Louis Giglio. Eh, Mark Evans. Eh, nobody. No church is designed to meet your soul's greatest need. No pastor can meet your soul's greatest need. No worship leader can meet your soul's greatest need. And we run around and didn't like that pastor. Oh, he never, they didn't call me. <laughs> and then you run over here, meet my need. <laughs> call me, text me, pray for me. And they're like, okay, let's pray. And then a year later, he all didn't meet my need either. <laughs> no, because we're human. And we run around and we church hop and we religion hop and we hypocrite hop and we blame people. It's the preacher. It's the hypocrites. It's all the people. Oh, it's religion. Oh, I'm deconstructing. Arrgh. Why? Because the reality of what goes on, Jesus said, no, your soul's greatest need is something inside you. It's a river that bubbles up within It's learning to find life not in the external things. I don't need another preacher. I don't need another wife. I don't need another husband. I don't need another drink. I don't need another toke. I don't need another bloke. I don't need another promise. I don't need to win the lotto. I don't need a house. I don't need a dog. I don't need anything. What I have to come to is that there is something happening on the inside of me that changes everything about me. So that Sam, sitting there, leaning against the back door of the church, says, for 17 years, I sought that meth would be my answer. And I guarantee if we polled his life, he started with a little and he ended with a lot, constantly trying to feed the need that this is my answer. And his own testimony to this house is, I died to myself and I found a flow that was from within me and not from without me. Kaya, stand up, Kaya. Not everybody knows you. Give a Kaya a hand right here. Hope. Kaya comes up to me this morning. He said, I want to tell you something. I said, what? Hey, just come here. Just grab that microphone. You tell him better than me. Give him a hand again. He has no clue. <laughs> Make it quick. Tell him what you told me today, what happened last week, and what happened inside. Okay. Oh, Lord. So basically, while I was at work, I fully surrendered. And what did I mean by that? There's something inside of me, I felt like I was afraid of death. And you can't be afraid of death if God promises you eternal peace. So right then and there, I was like, nah, we're going to fix that right here, right now. Amen. So right there, he spoke to me, and I fixed it, and... I believe I'll have eternal peace within him. The Holy Spirit's been talking to me. He's been calling me. And I've been praying for everybody every single day, every single night. Before I go to sleep, every day I wake up, I read the Bible, and I'll talk to him. And I just listen. And he helps me. He gives me guidance. He gives me wisdom. And he gives me strength. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, baby. Thank you for the So this is a guy in his 20s. Who says, I just surrendered to God Amen. and I found peace. Amen. I surrendered to God and I found something the world cannot offer me. I found something that nothing else can do. And this is what Jesus means. 
This is why he could sit there with his feet hurting. Why? Because there's something else brewing in me. Why I could be thirsty and not blame God because something bigger than that is brewing in me. Why I could be thirsty and ask her for help because I know she's really not my help. There's something bigger brewing on the inside of me. And I would love to present to you today that maybe the reason Christianity seems so foreign to many people is because those of us that claim to be Christians are looking for the external solutions to our needs rather than walking into the room and going, there is something on the inside of me, a something that I live for, a bubbling on me, a life force in me. It has nothing to do with whether I get paid, nothing to do with the pandemic, nothing to do with whether I get vaccinated or get paid paid by the government or any it doesn't even matter who's in charge of the world there is a life flow on the inside of me that meets every need I have and eat watch and even when I have a need I'm still content and this is where Jesus was taking her that day maybe we've done a disservice as Christians because we've said come to God he'll meet all your needs rather than saying come to God and every need that you have won't even matter anymore because there will be a life flow There'll be a life flow. This is what Paul will say. It goes on. Paul says it this way. Crazy scripture. But I love it. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content. Do you know right now as we close, the soul's greatest need is perpetualized contentment. Nothing offers perpetual contentment. The earth always says you need more to be content. But not Paul. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. In other words, he's not saying, why won't God meet my need? He understands that even if God meets his need, he'll have another one next Tuesday. And even if God meets that need, he'll have another one next Friday. But he says this, I've learned, I put it in blue, I've learned the secret of living. The secret of living is I live from a flow that I can do all things through the flow of Christ Jesus' life that's in me. Here's the conclusion. Trying to explain the reality of Jesus is this. I wrote it down last night. The reality of Jesus manifests when you put your faith in Him. It might not seem logical. It might not seem like it's the right thing to do. But the moment you put your faith in Him, here's what happens. It releases a self-perpetuating life force of the Spirit to where every need you have, every problem you have, bows down to there's something bigger in me that drives my life, drives my contentment, drives my emotions, and he says it this way, it is the secret of life. The secret of life, and I think all humans would come to this, is that nothing on this earth satisfies there's something else. And it's the eternal lies I have been born again and I receive life from within. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father.